Amen. Yeah, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, you can get online. Feel free to do that, and that will also give you an excuse. If you get bored, you can check your email or whatever. If you do not have a Bible and you want a physical copy, we have some in the back. I'll even tell you what page it's on. Just raise your hand, and we'll get you, get you one. <clears throat> it's on page 959. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a really, really important passage. You know, this church is, uh, I think, unique. Um, we... we believe that uh, the local church is God's idea, and we believe that God uses local churches uh, that are throughout a city to establish His presence in the city. It's God's idea, the idea of the local church. And so when we started this church over seven years ago, we started with a vision of helping to establish many churches uh, in major cities uh, because, because of that idea, believing that God's presence is, is most fully established and his, and his gospel is most effectively spread through really strong local churches. And, and we focus a lot on, in Houston, inside the 610 Loop. One reason we began inside the 610 Loop, because uh, at that time, there was a great need for strong gospel preaching, Christ-centered, like not... Um, like, like relevant churches. I tell people, like, our church is a church for people that don't have one um, because I think somebody could come here and feel like, okay, this isn't so, like, different than my everyday normal life that, that I could, might be able to connect with this church in some way. So since beginning, we, we have helped in varying degrees start dozens of churches. And that could be everything from, like, giving people money to I've done some coaching along the way. We have walked alongside some churches that are in more impoverished areas for longer term. We have um, done some different kinds of ministries. We've even sent out people from our church to help start other churches. And so that is very, very exciting. And one thing that I, I think is important about that is that we've said from the beginning, we're not going to measure success as a church primarily by how many people come into our room on Sunday morning, but instead by the collaborative effort of city reaching that's going on by us and the churches that we're helping establish in the community and other churches that maybe not, we may not have help in establishing, but we support and celebrate and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool. I'm mean, pretty cool to be a part of, and it's different, very different for us. As uh, I came out of a church that was very large and an amazing church, but was really very focused on making one thing very large. Instead of let's make, uh, let's saturate the community with a, a lot of really great churches. And, uh, and by doing so, we'll be able to reach and impact more people. And so you say, well, okay, so Russell, that sounds good. But how many people is uh, Near Town Church impacting through this collaborative city reaching effort? And I, I don't know exactly, although we try to track it, but it's into the thousands. This morning, there'll be thousands of people gather in various churches that we've been a part of helping start that these churches did not exist prior to Neartown Church ex- existing, which is pretty cool. And, uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about it. All that said, we certainly want to think about what it means to strengthen this local body. And so because of that, I'm going to be preaching about a five-week series that I'm beginning today called Together. Everybody say Together. Very good. So these sermons are really going to be focused on our local church. And what I'm going to try to do is help you understand from the Scriptures God's idea for the local church. And in doing so, I think it's going to strengthen us as a local church as we think about continuing to care about collaborative city reaching, also continuing to see God 
uh, use this local church in this community and in the lives of the people that we're all connected to. That's the idea. So in, in the coming weeks, I'm going to talk about things like uh, why do we get together in this way to worship? Like what's the point of it? Um, baptism, we're going to look at that. That's an interesting one because most people have some kind of frame of reference for baptism. We're going to talk about what's the scripture say about baptism. Why do some people baptize babies? And why do some people wait till later to be baptized? And all that kind of stuff should be a lot of fun. We're also going to talk about the way that the church is to function in inviting others. Jesus says in John 13 that the world will know about me by how you love one another. So Clearly, Jesus cares about how the world sees the local church, which includes the work of inviting others. And then we're also going to talk about growing into faith. And I'm going to push back on the idea that, that the, the, the end or, of our faith or, or the kind of like apex of our faith is like, I found a church I like and I go to on occasion. I mean, that, that is for many people kind of like the, what it means to be Christian. But we're going to push back a little bit on that and say, okay, what does it mean to actually grow and be transformed in our relationship with God? So it should be a really a lot of fun. Are you excited? Thank you. I'm excited and uh, it's going to be good. But today... Uh, the driving idea is this. It's, it's four words. You can memorize it, whatever you want to do. But here is the, here's the driving idea, and it sets off this series. Four words. Here we go. I've built it up way too much. Um, so I'm going to need you to, like, cheer when I say them, okay? So here they go. When I say just cheer, even if you don't care. All right, here we go. Here we go. Four words. Together, we are better. That's right, baby. I'm preaching now. Get me warmed up. Together, we are better. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe it. So the word church in the Bible never means a building or a place. Uh, you know, just to be honest, we've been reminded that the church isn't a building the last few weeks of meeting in this place. I mean, it's been a, it's been a gigantic headache. We lost our storage over here, and so we're having to figure out logistics. We had movers. And now one reason we don't have the curtains like we normally do is we're trying to figure out how we can reduce the number of boxes because we're going to have to buy a trailer and blah, blah. It's just been a gigantic headache, and we're looking for space. People say to me, well, why don't you all get your own building? Oh, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Let me just run down and just write a check. I mean, you know, around here, you know, for, for 4,000 square feet, it's $10,000 a month lease. I mean, it's, it's very expensive. Um, and, but we're praying and asking. We're talking to other churches in the community, and we actually have a really interesting conversation going on, going on right now with one of, the, one of the black churches in the community about maybe even sharing space with them, which would be beautiful and awesome, and, and I would really get excited about that. I'm not sure if it's going to work out. But uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But we know this, that the church is, it, it, in the Bible, the word church never means a building or a place. In fact, the word church comes out of this Greek word, ekklesia. Ek means out of, and, kale, and it come, the ekklesia is from the root word kaleo. And I'm just trying to impress you by my knowledge of the Greek. But really, here's what it means. It means to call out of. The word translated in English church comes from a Greek word which means to call out of. It's a group of people that are the called out ones. Pretty awesome. So the, the church is not... A place, it's a group of people. And when the Bible uses the word church, it actually has a few different meanings. It, it can mean the, the universal church. Like when you say like the church in the world would be all of the people that are called out and are in Christ. But it can also mean like the church in a city, like the church of Houston. So I meet uh, once a month with... Um, 
an organization called Houston Church Planting Network, and it's probably 150 church planting minded pastors and churches and networks and denominations. And we get together and we pray for the church in Houston, which would be the larger work of God in the city of Houston. There are also places in the New Testament where the church is used to refer to like a neighborhood or a house. So like tonight in my home, I'm going to have a loop group, which is our midweek groups that we have as a church. And, and that would be like the church, that would be like a ch- we're churching over there, right? So we're, we're a group, a smaller group of people meeting in a house. So the word church isn't a building, it's a people that are called out. And call to something. And uh, so, just some reference. Acts eleven twenty two refers to the church in Jerusalem, which would be a city. First Corinthians chapter one verse two refers to the church of God, which is in Corinth, which is, of course, the passage that we're going to talk about today. First Thessalonians uh, says to the church in Thess- of the Thessalonians, which is a group of people, and, and so on. So, so there are a number of uses of the word church. And what we are going to focus on is the use of the word church to mean a local church, which would be like us. There's a number of metaphors in the Bible when it's used, when, when the authors are trying to describe what the church is supposed to be like, and one of them is the body of Christ. Everybody say body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12 is a very famous passage when we begin to think about what does it mean to be the church. And, and so look there if, in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. I'm having fun. I don't know if you are having fun, but I'm having fun right now. For just as the, one, as the body is one, it has many members, verse 12 says, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. There's three things that are said there that actually we would double-click on each of those three things they are expounded on in the following verses. First of all, the human body or the church is a unit. The second is that the human body or the church has many parts and it has necessary diversity. And the third is that the parts of the body work as one. They're mutually dependent upon one another. So I want to talk about this and help you to understand or strengthen your understanding of what it means to be a part of this local church. This is not a lesson in anatomy, but the idea of the human body helps us understand God's idea for the local church. First of all, the church is a unit. Everybody say unit. So like the human body is one unit, the church is a unit. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, which is a way of talking about the fact that uh, there may be ethnic diversity. You hope that there's ethnic diversity in the church. Also, slaves are free, uh, which means that there's a diversity of social status in the church. Not just white people in the church, not just black people in the church, not just Asian, you know, whatever, but there's a diversity ethnically. And then there's diversity socially. So not just rich people, not just poor people. Give it up, poor people, right? Amen? In other words, like, I ain't poor, man. Come on. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of diversity. So all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the beautiful thing about the local church is we are unified. We're one because of money? No. Because of race? No. Because of the Holy Spirit of God. That unifies us. That's how we can come together, Democrats, Republicans. Give it up, Democrats. Give it up, Republicans. You know, those that are for the NRA or those that are against the NRA. You know, people say, you're going to talk about that on Sunday? Like, I am not stupid. I am not stupid. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. 
Because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit unifies us. It's a beautiful thing. We want the local church to look like heaven's going to look like, which is going to be very diverse in every way. So the church is a unit. So here's the thing. In your heart, you may agree with this idea, but in your daily decisions, uh, something else may be proven. Here's why. Here's something we all have to kind of be aware of and think about, is that all of us are affected by this Western mindset, the Western mindset of individualism. I want to talk just really briefly about this idea of individualism because I think we have to kind of point at it so that we can see its potential to keep us from fully understanding what it means that the church is a unit. So when I show up at church, it's not just about Russell Cravens. I actually make decisions as a follower of Christ thinking about how it affects other people in the church because I am not alone. I am a part of something that's unified by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk a little bit about individualism. So there was a study done by this this guy, Dr. Joseph Henright, University of British Columbia. And uh, they studied people from all over the world and assessed how they considered themselves with respect to whether or not they were independent and self-contained or intertwined and interconnected with other people. Whether they valued the individual or the group. And what he discovered in this research, which is used by a lot of people to talk about this, this concept of individualism, particularly Western individualism, is um, that people in more individualistic societies, Western societies, tend to value personal success over group achievement. So it's also associated with a, with a greater need to boost self-esteem, to, to work at boosting your own self-esteem, even if it means ignoring the need of the group. It, 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 the research revealed that the, in the Western societies, individuals tend to be more concerned with their personal happiness than they are the well-being or the good of the whole group. It's really interesting and probably not surprising. And that in these more Western individualistic societies that that people tended to be overconfident about their abilities. Whereas in the Eastern kind of mindset, people tended to underestimate their abilities so that they could have a more proper sense of the good of the group. You get it? So in Western individualistic societies, it's about me, my success, my happiness, my great... Uh, my great feelings, my self-esteem. In Eastern cultures, it's more about the good of the group. It's not as much about me, not as much about my happiness, but about the well-being of the whole community. There was this research that was done. It was really interesting. Now, this may be boring to you. I shared it with my wife, and she was like, that's boring. I was like, I don't care. I'm sharing it with the church. Um, So there was a study done, uh, and they tracked the eyes of people from the West in in, in America and the people from the East, and this was particularly in East Asia, and they did this, they showed them this image, and uh, this was done at the University of Michigan, um, and they showed them this image, and what they realized was that people in the West tended to focus only on the main object, in the center, whereas people in the East tended to focus on the background image to get context for the main object. So Westerners tend to focus on individual things, where Easterners tend to focus on the whole thing. Now, before you start saying, well, you know, 
I'm not trying to say that the Western mindset is bad. It's actually quite good. Did you know that in the West, people tend to uh, avoid infectious diseases more often because they have an identity that separates them from other people? That's really interesting. All right, so that's a good thing. Also in the West, uh, there is a mindset that theoretically... Uh, eliminates the caste system, whereas in the East, where the mindset is very communal, uh, that tends to exist more often. So the Western mindset is not totally bad, but what I want to do is identify it for you and point it out to you, because here's the thing. Western individualism makes it hard for us to fully grasp what it means when I say, or the scriptures say, that the church is a unit. Because we want to be a part of a church. We want to function in the life of a church, but if we're very individualistic, what we do is we neglect how our role in the church actually is for the benefit of the whole church. You get that? We have to point our finger at it and go, you know what? I tend to think only about myself. I tend to only care about my well-being. And when it's convenient for me to engage and show up in the life of the church, that's when I'm going to do it. But when it's not convenient for me, then I'm not going to do it because, you know, I've got to take care of number one. But the local church, according to God's word, is not meant to function like that. We are a body. We're a unit. We're together. We're interdependent. We're interconnected. The local church, if healthy, is a unified body. Second point. The church has many parts. That body has many parts. And there's necessary diversity. It would make sense to you for me to say that the human body has many parts, right? (laughs) Surely it would. And in the same way, the local church has many different kinds of parts. So although we're a unit, it doesn't mean that all the parts are the same. And every church needs a variety or a diversity of parts to make the body function properly. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Here's what it's saying. The foot or the ear cannot choose to be a hand or an eye. And, and the reason that a foot or a hand, a foot or a ear would choose to be a hand or an eye because it would not maybe value its place in the life of the church or maybe because the hand or the eye is saying you're not as important foot or ear there needs to be a diversity in the body which is really really beautiful thing christians cannot choose not to be a part of the body Uh, uh, the foot cannot say i don't want to be a part of that body or i want only want to be a part of the body when the foot's really needed (laughs) No, the foot is a part of the body at all times. It has a role in the life of the body, but every part of the church, every person in the church has a part of the healthy functioning of the body. Do you hear that? Every person has a unique role in the body. You have a unique role in the body, and your role was given to you by God. It's not just like, hey, what do I want to do in the life of the church today? You know that whenever you become a Christian, something is released in you, and it's called a spiritual gift. There's some debate from scholars as to, do you always have that spiritual gift, and it's latent in you, and then it's released in you whenever you become a Christian? I don't know. Or does, uh, does it, is it just supernaturally given to you right when you become a Christian, whenever you receive the gift, gift of the Holy Spirit? And it could be that too. Here's the point. If you are a follower of Christ, you have spiritual gifts, at least one. You have them. You have at least one. And they're not haphazardly given. In fact, verse 18 says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
So God has given different spiritual gifts to you in the body for the healthy functioning of the body. You have got to use those gifts in the body. If you do not use your gifts in the life of the body, then what happens? The body does not function in the way that it was meant to function. So last Sunday, something happened to me. First time in my entire 20-plus years of ministry, I called in sick this Sunday morning. I don't know if you know this. I don't think Andrew told you he was trying to protect me or something. But Saturday night at 10 o'clock, my wife calls him and says, Russell is really, really sick. He's not going to be able to preach this morning. Now, just to be truthful, for several hours, she was like, you got to call, you got to call Andrew to see if he can preach for you. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm like laying on my side in the bed. I have a fever. You know, I could like barely talk and I had a stomach flu. I mean, it was, it was bad. I lost some weight, which is kind of sweet. Amen. Uh, you know, but, but I, I was not feeling well and it's 10 o'clock and I, and I knew that it would not be good for Andrew because it was late and because Megan was out of town. So he had the kids on his own. So to put together a last minute sermon, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there and things are not working well for me at that point in the bedroom. I won't be any more descriptive than that. But, but I, I, I said at 10 o'clock, Jeannie says, uh, hey, we need to call somebody else. You're not doing well. I don't think we're even talking, talking about taking him into the ER. I mean, I was not doing well. And, and she says, no. I said, no, I'll be fine by tomorrow. You know, you know what I'm talking about, men? You know how that is? It's like, no, I'll be cool. I'll be cool tomorrow. And she's like, no, you will not be cool. And if you know my wife, you know this is really strange. She says, I'm calling Andrew, and he is going to preach tomorrow. He's going to find somebody to preach tomorrow. I'm not letting you go to church. And I was like, Okay, baby. <laughs> and, you know, she he called. Unfortunately, Andrew did a fantastic job. I listened to his sermon. I was like, dude, you killed it. I'm going to start calling you on Saturday night at 10 o'clock every week. And um, something was not w- working right in my body. Something on the inside was not functioning the way that it was meant to. And the rest of my body was, complete, my, was completely debilitated. I mean, there was no, no injury on my arms or my legs or my head, um, but it was all inside of my body, and that one part wasn't working, and the whole thing shut down. It's the same way it works in the church. If one part of the body does not function or does not understand that it has a gift that's to be deployed in the life of the church, then the body cannot move forward in the way that it's meant to move forward. The body it's made up of many parts, and all of them have gifts. And so you say, well, what do I do? Here's what I would say. You've got to find out what your gifts are. You've got to find out what your gifts are. You've got to find out the way God's made you. You know, God has made all of you very beautifully and uniquely. And part of the work of self-leadership is understanding how has God made me so that I can be a part of doing the works in the life of the church that God has called me to do. You say, well, how do I find out what my spiritual gifts are? It's very easy. Get on the internet, Google, spiritual gift test. There are dozens of them. Just go do it. It'll give you an idea. Very easy. I've also found it very helpful as I'm sort of working to understand how my wiring, how God has made me so that I can know how to function in the life of the church is to do other kind of man-made tests like the Enneagram or the Insights test. And at the women's retreat yesterday, they, they led them through this personality test assessment and then Sarah Robbins did an explanation of it for them. And my wife said, it was wonderful just knowing who am I? How has God created me? That's your work. You say, well, how can the church do that for me? Listen, you can do that for yourself. You can discover that for yourself. You really, really can 
And then we as a church get to foster that in you. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you have the gift of shepherding. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism. Maybe you have the gift of uh, uh, service. You know, how are we going to do these things and facilitate these things in the life of the church? We need you to do them to the, the best of your ability for the church to function in the way. If the church is limping, it's not because the idea of the church is not good. It's God's idea. It's because there are people in the life of the church that aren't living into their gifts. Do you hear me? That's you, and that's me. The weakest days in the life of this church have been the days that I've tried to operate in a set of gifts that are not mine to operate in. The best days in the life of this church are when the people in this church are operating in the gifts that God has given them in the way that God has called them to. Together, we are better in Christ. We're called together, and everyone understands, they must understand that they're an essential part of the healthy functioning of the body. We are better. The church needs a diversity of gifts. Now, one more quick point. The parts of the human body are to work, and we are mutually dependent upon one another. So apparently in Corinth, there were some who were saying that these spiritual gifts are more important than these spiritual gifts. But what Paul is going to say is this in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are... More presentable parts do not require it. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So here's the thing. It is illogical and cruel to be a Christian and see any part of the body as less important than another. You say, well, Russell, I don't have the gifts that you have. My gifts tend to be more public. And so you might say to yourself, my gift is less important than yours, Russell. And let me tell you this, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. There are people that serve every single week in the life of this church that do so beautifully, and you don't even know about it. You know this? Where, is Danny Sanchez in here? I think she's on a smoke break. But anyway, Danny, Danny, Danny made the coffee this morning. Kyle and Danny show up every single week, and others of you in here are doing the same show up almost every single week and do the little things like coffee and uh, help set up. You would not have known that, maybe. And she's not going to ever be on this stage, probably. I mean, she's welcome to be, but she probably would never want to be because that's not her gifts. And her gifts are no less important in the life of the church than anybody else's gifts. Lauren has a beautiful gift of leadership and pastoring and singing. But it doesn't make her gifts any more important than Nick's, who is in the back today quietly running the, uh, the PowerPoint. And there are other gifts in the life of the church. All these gifts are important. So you say, well, my gifts aren't that important. Yes, they are important. You know what what's, would be really tragic would be for you to say, my gifts are important, and then you don't de- deploy them, and then the, the body doesn't work quite like it's supposed to. Every time there's a need in the life of this church for, for a gift or for a service or for some sort of action or movement, every single time, here's what I tell our team. I say this. I say, listen, if this is something God wants us to do, then he's already provided the gift in the life of our church. We just have to find that gift. And this is true. I've seen it over and over and over. You have a gift. Your gifts matter. You must work at discovering what those gifts are, and then we get to help you deploy those gifts in the life of the church so that the church can move and function in the way it's meant to do. Here's 
is why. Because the church is God's primary idea, primary institution for the heralding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the message that is literally the message between life and death for people. And so it's important that the local church works well together and works unified and isn't just about the individuals. So when I'm deciding, am I going to go to church today? Uh, I may or may not. You have, are essentially making a decision, is the local body and its overall well-being more important than my individual desire to separate myself from it? You see, the local church is so important. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church. See, Jesus is doing something. He's building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here's a pressing question, and then we're going to move into a time of singing. Does a person have to be at church to be a Christian? Well, this is really, according to the Scriptures, it's a ridiculous question. Because nowhere in the New Testament would we see a person who's become a Christian that's not also a part of a local body, or at least connecting with a local body. It just does not make sense. And when we think about the church, we cannot think of it as one of the many options that we get to serve or learn and give. And all of you have those other kinds of tribes out there at work or your social clubs or your other interest clubs. And all those things are wonderful and beautiful and keep being a part of them. But I'm saying this, that the local church is something different. Why? Because it is the body of Christ. Those other things are not. And it is the institution that we get to be a part of that God works through to proclaim and preach and minister and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That is the point of the local church. And if that is not enough, then you should know that the New Testament describes the local church as the bride of Christ. And when somebody says to me, like, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church, what I'm hearing then, that would be the equivalent of somebody coming to me and saying, Russell, I love you, but I don't love your wife. I don't really like her too much. I'd be like, you better back up because, I'm, you know, that would, that would not be cool. If you, you get me, you get my wife. That's how it goes. Local church is such a wonderful, beautiful idea of God, and we get to be a part of it. You have gifts. They're important. And you say, mine aren't as important as other people's. No, that's a lie. That is not true. All of you have important gifts. And what I would say to you and what I want to do is stir it up and just say, let's identify our gifts. Let's find the way God has made us so that we together can walk on mission and so this thing can function and move forward and not just stumble along, but we can get into stride and be all that God wants us to be in this city for his glory and for his fame until Jesus returns. That's what I want to be a part of, and that's what you are a part of. And so with those words, let's bow our head and think about these things. Now, if you're here and you say, I want to be a part of that, but I've not yet crossed over the line of faith, you should know that there's good news. God invites you through Christ to have your sins forgiven and to be given new life. You can get connected in the local body. You say, what do I do? What you do is you acknowledge your sin before God. God, I am a sinner. I have been running from you. I'm separated from you. Please forgive my sin. And you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You just tell them. 
And then there's a mysterious exchange where your sin goes to Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. His Holy Spirit comes into your life. And then what's released in you is a whole lot of beautiful things, one of which is a spiritual gift that gets to participate in and serve a local body. For all those of you that have crossed over the line of faith, my encouragement to you today is this, is what is your gift? Have you identified them? Are you living into them? Also, how, what is your mindset as it relates to your participation in the local body? Is it very individualistic or is it more like what God's idea is, which is I'm a part of something unified by the Spirit? So maybe you were a little convicted today. Maybe you felt that little tinge in your heart of like, oh, I need something needs to change. That may be the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you'd simply say to God, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to step into the life of the church more fully, serving as needed so that the body can function in the way that it's supposed to. God Almighty, we love you, and your word is potent, God. It is strong and filled with beautiful imagery, and it's helpful to us as we all kind of have to resist the temptation to be only about us as individuals. God, help us to understand what it means to be a part of something larger. And God, truly, by being a part of this larger thing, we will get to be a part of a greater work than we could ever do on our own. God, for those that are here that are being stirred to repent, to pray, those that will participate in the Lord's Supper, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just move into their hearts and move onto their lives. Just work in them, God, as we respond now in these different ways. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.